0: BLOB TALK RADIO
1: another edition of the brown bag i'm your host michael t brown hey follow us on twitter at mt brown 98 or connect with us on linkedin or facebook that's facebook.com slash the brown bag one where you can post questions for our guests you can also catch our broadcast on demand after taping, or get a free download on itunes have you missed any of our previous broadcasts no worries just go to blogtalkradio.com search the brown bag and listen at your leisure Hey, Mike, why don't you give us a quick update about social digital media?
2: Social Digital Media Incorporated is a 501c3 not-for-profit, member-supported digital multimedia production facility structured to serve the public and independent producers of digital media, primarily for the web. Social Digital Media Incorporated offers state-of-the-art, member-funded digital recording studios to allow its members to create portable, professional-quality digital video and audio productions that can easily be rebroadcast using any number of the hundreds of web syndication services currently available. In a nutshell, it's public broadcasting for today's generation. To put it plainly, Any person or organization that could benefit from the exposure of radio, TV, or video will benefit from the low-cost resources made available through Social Digital Media Incorporated. Our goal is to help promote a digitally inclusive society through emerging digital media production standards that empower its members by providing a digital gateway That provides the tools and personnel needed to produce professional, inexpensive multimedia formats on a digital, portable platform to capture, deliver, and broadcast their message to the world. We are working towards our goal of opening the doors of a state-of-the-art studio to a community of passion-led artists who have a gift to share with the worlds they impact. We are already in the process of creating a new culture of mentors and apprentices equipped with the advanced production skills taught via informal education systems that will foster a brand new learning environment for bridging the digital divide. We move art from concept to impact because social digital media moves the world from disconnected to connected. Find out how to help us reach our goal at socialdigitalmedia.org. Thank
1: you for that. Michael, thank you for that update. Friends, we have a great broadcast in store for you today. Mike, you know, I'm feeling very blessed and fortunate that we have guests who appear on this broadcast week after week who are dedicated and committed to the cause of public service. What about you?
2: Yeah, man, um, just reading through Keith's bio, um what, what a champion of the people, man. And uh, it's really great to just know that there are folks out there who are dedicated to, you know, making the world a better place.
1: Yeah, and I tell you, this week is certainly no exception with our guest. And uh, make sure you stay nearby Michael Ford, because I know uh, his work in law enforcement is something that you hold near and dear uh, yourself. So uh, if you don't mind, would you please introduce our very special guest?
2: Keith Gray grew up in a single-parent household where his mother taught him the value of education. Keith's passion for learning led him to a full athletic scholarship to American University in Washington, D.C., where he earned his Bachelor of Arts in Justice. Keith went on to work and further his education at the University of South Florida, where he served as a university administrator and instructor. At USF, he earned his Master's of Education while working hard to have a positive impact on the lives of young men and women. As an administrator, he was primarily responsible for ensuring minority students were able to gain access and matriculate through college. Keith helped many first-generation students like himself become successfully admitted in college and set on the pathway to prosperity. Keith has always wanted more for his community. He has a passion for youth who have experienced tough circumstances, just as he did growing up. After witnessing consistently low African-American male college enrollment, Keith sought to work on the ground to protect and serve disadvantaged youth. This led him to a career in law enforcement, where he served for a number of years as an officer with the Metropolitan Police Department in Washington, D.C., As an officer, Keith was responsible for ensuring the safety and security of several recreation centers and youth-serving facilities. While serving as a mentor to many youth who attended the centers, he used his athletic talent and experiences to partner with other divisions within the department to organize basketball clinics across the city in an effort to open the lines of communication between the police and the community's youth. These experiences established Keith as a transcendent leader who is not afraid to meet our challenges where they are. Keith is a tireless leader with a heart and mind dedicated to helping everyday people. Keith is committed to community development and looks forward to serving all of his neighbors and friends in Prince George's County. Keith not only believes, but will work to ensure that all Marylanders are better together. Mr.
1: Keith L. Gray, welcome to the Brown Bag.
0: Thank you. Thank you both for having me. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm truly honored, and, uh, uh, and it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to, to be on this morning.
1: Well, we're glad to have you on, Keith, and I know you were, a part, were, being a, you were playing a part in a graduation today, so we appreciate you uh, sliding away and making some time for us.
0: Not a problem at all. Not a problem at all. Thank you.
1: Keith, yeah, let's go ahead and get started. Tell us a little bit about yourself, um, your background, your upbringing, and how it led you to the work that you do now.
0: Well, just uh, kind of starting back in East Texas, um, I grew up um, in East Texas, Longview, Texas, to be exact. Uh, a lot of Some folks don't know Longview, where Longview is or or, or what it is. Um, it's southeast of Dallas, about an hour, hour and a half southeast of Dallas. Um, a lot of people don't know where it is or have uh, ever been to the town, but a lot of people know who's come from the town. Matthew McConaughey from Longview, uh, another brother of mine, Forrest Whitaker from Longview. And a host of of other athletes and and, uh, a few more celebrities. So it's a small town that produces some really interesting and really uh, progressive folks. um, Once they once they leave the boundaries of uh, of East Texas, Um, but I grew up there. Um, There were four of us. I have two other siblings. I have another brother that's a year older than I am. A couple of sisters. Um, But my mother raised us um, all by herself. She was. uh, my father was was a um, was an alcoholic he was uh, a very violent um, very violent man towards my mother. She was uh, physically abused consistently and wow. finally, at the age of eight she uh she got the um the gumption to to get us all out of there um, so growing up, I saw from the age of uh, so I can remember three to to eight roughly three to eight for as long as I can remember, I can remember being in a situation seeing my mother physically abused by my father and it, wow. it had an indelible impact on me which, you know, carried over into my latter career and the things that I do now and especially in the law enforcement uh end of it. Um but she finally I remember when she uh wanted us to come go it was I was eight eight years old, just give you a story real quick. Eight years old, she comes into the living room and this was roughly about seven o'clock at night. She said, Let's, you know I need to go to the laundry have to wash clothes. I'm sitting in front of the T V and uh watching BET. I remember it was the world premiere video, so I was glued to the TV. I remember when the little globe comes on, the world premiere on the front right. on the screen, BET, yeah, Donnie Simpson video, so this is what I was watching. And she says, come on, boy, we're about to go to the uh, laundromat and watch these clothes. I was like, I don't want to go. I'm watching BET. I'm, watching, you know, I'm about to watch these videos. And she was adamant, adamant. Come on. She had about three or four baskets, so she got all of us uh, in the car. And I, I just thought it was strange that We were all going. I really didn't think anything of it. Um, and lo and behold, little did I know that we were actually going to our apartment. She was leaving our father, so wow. she um, had everything—the clothes on our back—and the clothes in that basket is all we had. And she um, she took us to uh, to our new apartment where her best friend was already waiting, uh, Miss Chantel. And uh, I remember we went out that night and uh, took us out to dinner, and and we just kind of it was it was surreal. And that was the point at which my mother. I uh, left my father, which a lot of women who are in abuse situations aren't able to do. And I just commend my mother, especially you're coming to Mother's Day, to, for doing that and making, making that change in our lives. Um, you know, it's a situation when women are in, you really don't understand um, the mindset of those being abused uh, yeah. in addition to the abuser. And to get out of that situation and to pull yourself up with four children and to take them out of that situation is something that even in law enforcement, I became an expert in domestic violence. I didn't see it very often where the woman actually left, especially with two children, let alone four children. But that's what my mother did. So um, after that, you know we uh, she brought us up, um, you know in good school. She always made sure we uh, we had what we needed, and, and I was very thankful for that. Um, so early on throughout early years in high school, um, I became a, uh, at first I played football. I was actually recruited in both sports mm-hmm. and, um, I come from a very athletic family. Uh, my mother, um, she didn't play any sports. I'm sorry. My sister, my younger sister, she, uh, ended up getting a college scholarship playing basketball. My brother played college football and, and I was the, uh, the other, the basketball, other basketball player. And, um, I played football majority and around my 10th, 12th grade, sorry, 10th, 11th grade year, I started to get, um, letters in both. I didn't start playing basketball until I was in the 10th grade. But I tell people this, and they're like, no way. But I was just athletic. I didn't know how to play the game. I hated basketball. But all of a sudden, I got pretty good at it. You know, all I did, really, my only game, my game was dunking on people and blocking shots. That was it. really didn't do <laughs> anything. Huh? <laughs> That's it. That's all I did. Because I could jump out of the gym, um, and, and you know, it worked. It worked. Well. I didn't know how to dribble, really, and, you know, how I could, didn't know how to shoot a jump, jump uh, a hook shot, let alone a jump shot. And uh, lo and the whole, my tenth grade year, I went to a tournament and played very well. And before I knew it, I was getting letters from all over the country in uh, wow. in basketball, in addition to football. And I just decided my last year to just play um, just play one sport. So I decided my senior year uh, not to pursue football and to pursue only basketball, which uh, led me here to uh, to American University. Um, so I came to American University, had a uh, uh, very good time here and a uh, very, good, very good career here. It was one of the most pivotal points in my life. Imagine coming from a little s- small town, Longview, Texas. If you've been to a, south, a town in the South, any little town in the South, you've been to all of them. Uh, I think I heard mm-hmm. Jerry Rice say that one time. <laughs> but it's so true. Um, it, it, it's pretty much just the mentality, how it is. And imagine a, a young guy from the South coming here to Washington, D.C., uh, my last few choices, I went up to Fordham University for my, you get five visits. I went up to Fordham University. of um, one of my five official visits. You get five official visits by the NCAA. Right. And I used them in uh, Fordham University, St. Joseph's in Philly, and American. I formed a really good relationship with the coaches at American University, um, who are still my, my close friends today. One, my, the coach that actually saw me playing in, uh, in the tournament in high school was uh, Kevin Brodus. Kevin is now the assistant, um, assistant coach, head assistant coach for Georgetown, uh, but he spent some time up in, uh, at the Demonson University, and also Scott Spinelli, who's the uh, head assistant coach over at Maryland now, and I formed a really solid relationship with those guys, so I, you know, coming here to D.C. was kind of, they already had the upper hand because they had formed a really close relationship and bond with me, so I go up to uh, school in Philly, went to visit the uh, school in Philly, Phil Martelli was the coach up there at the time, and they had gone to the Sweet 16 the year before. So this is how close I was to going to Philadelphia. They um, went to the Sweet 16 the year before, and just basically, um, I didn't think he was going to be there. I thought, you know, he's the smallest school. He's going to be getting a bigger contract. And, you know, Phil Martelli is still there today. <laughs> Great guy. Yeah. He's still the coach there today. Um, and went up to Fordham University in New York City. and, and um, But I came here to, to American, and it was like I was at home and again imagine taking a guy out of a small town in longview and putting him right in the, in the, the middle of dc um let's say, let's just say it opened my eyes up to a whole new world um you know meeting and being around people from one, over 187 plus hundred countries um it, it was it was surreal it was surreal. it was an amazing amazing experience that really changed me as, as a young man as a and formulated who I am today, having the understanding for people, for culture, um, it really had an indelible impact for. And for that, you know, I'm really indebted to American University for that. Yeah. Um, so it, it was a, a really good experience. Spent some time after that, after college, uh, very short time. I was able to go play professionally uh, in Europe, um, in Germany to be exact. To be exact, um, and I had a, a little injury, and I came back and I. I didn't want to be one of those guys that was just out there playing sports, you know, playing professionally, didn't have anything to show of it uh, when he was finished. So I always always had my mind on getting my graduate degree. And Mm -hmm. so when I had a little injury, I was like, yeah, it it really put things into perspective. Like you really can't play forever. You have to have a backup plan. And so what I decided to do was to come back to the States and um, apply for graduate school and take some time off. Because I was burnt out at that point, you know. I, just,
1: yeah.
0: I, was re- I was really ready for it, you know, ready for the change. I was ready to get back in school and, and kind of experience that and have something to show for um, after I was finished playing and have a, being able to have another career. So I went, got my graduate degree, University of South Florida. And what I did upon finishing, in addition, to I was working. While I was at, I was working at the university, and I was loving it. Uh, my first job at the university was an academic advisor, um, in biology, of all things, I don't have a science background, but it, it worked <laughs> out. I ended up getting a job, and, and it was one of the most amazing um, experiences. Until then, I never had, I never really thought about what my career would be. I never, I, you know, I had a conceptual idea, but I always thought I'd play basketball until I was at least 40, in my 40s, and then I'd figure it out from there or something. <laughs> um, and but lo and behold, I got a job at the university, and, and I knew then that I wanted to be. In higher ed, I want to be in education. I, I loved it. Um, so that was my job and I had plenty of other jobs from um, within the university system, and then uh, roughly I would say around two thousand and seven or so, um, this is after I finished my, right yeah, right after I finished my graduate degree i said i 'm going put the shoes on and um, lace them up and i 'm going to try to get a contract and try to go play again. so I actually did uh, got in shape and Hired an agent, and before I knew it, I got a contract to go play in the Dominican Republic. So I was in Puerto Plata, right? I was in Puerto Plata, and it was a uh, a very unique experience. I'd never gone to the Dominican Republic before, and I didn't know that it was really, truly a third world country in every sense of the (laughs) word. If you, I don't know if either one of you ever been, but it's literally like a you know like a you see on TV like a Brazilian favela, you know, just like the the shacks with no running water, just tin roofs and. uh, that's exactly what it is, and it was um, it was eye-opening. So I'm getting off the plane when the, with the uh, president of the team and the other guys come and pick me up, and I'm like, where am I going to stay? <laughs> They're like, don't worry. You're going to stay in paradise. Don't worry. So my my abode was a uh, uh, five-star, four-five, four, really good resort, really nice resort. I think it was a Sheraton resort um, there in Puerto Plata. That's where I lived. So I, it, it was like being in paradise, but um, ultimately – Um, I didn't get the deal that I wanted uh, to to continue to pursue a career and going back to Europe, which is what I was looking to do. So I decided to stay, um, to come on back to the States because I already had a a really good career at South Florida. I was already kind of on my way. I finished my graduate degree. I was about to start Ph.D. courses. So that was already on my mind. So really basketball was like one of those things I don't like having regrets. It was one of those things where I said, I got to do this. I got to do it. After I played, you, you hear, you know, you hear like, man, you're playing basketball and living on a resort. But it was, I knew that eventually if I didn't get the, the deal that I wanted um, from a team in Europe or a team in South America, I said, well, I'm, you know, I'm going to go back to doing what I was doing. I really love it. I want to I finish my Ph.D. I want to continue to go from there. And um, got a couple couple of offers, but they were pretty lowball offers because I had been out of the sport for over, over three years. And after two years, if you're playing internationally, they consider you retired. And you really – people come in left and right with low ball offers, even if you do come back. Um, I played a little bit in the Dominican uh, League for about a uh, couple months and was actually um, – got those offers after, afterwards, and I was on the table. And, but I didn't take it because um, at that point I had a, uh, had a family and, you know, just uprooting. It's like, well, you know, I'll go back to the States and, um, and continue what I was doing, which I really love. So that's kind of what led me on my path now after I finished up with um, uh, working in higher ed, kind of one of the things that you you have this epiphany. Um, I was running a mentoring program in the College of Business uh, at the University of South Florida called the Corporate Mentoring, uh, Corporate Mentor Program. Um, Upon the culmination of our event, uh, we, uh, you know, there's some financial trouble with with the uh, state. The uh, state was having every university cut 10% from its budget, and mm-hmm. every program deemed non-essential was either totally mixed or it was actually, you know, formed and, and convinced into another program. Another program absorbed it. Um, my program fell victim to that. So after that, uh, I decided to look for uh, look look to go into something that I truly wanted to, to do. Again, this is a theme with me. I didn't. I never like to have regrets. So I, I thought about. Uh, my undergraduate days and how I had a very strong interest in law enforcement. So I decided to um, come back here to D.C. I had relationships with former police officers on the department, and um, the idea was to come back here to Washington and, and join a force. And I, I didn't want to. I knew that I wanted to go in law enforcement. I said I'm going back to D.C. Um, to uh, to join the force there because I knew that I would get the quality of of experience that I was looking for, and boy did I. <laughs> Uh, I that really department. Yeah, <laughs> you are thrown into the fire. I mean, it is, um, it is one of those deals where you, you have to think quick on your feet um, once you come out of the academy. I mean, it was, it, it was everything I expected and then some. Um, so after t- spending time with the force there, um, you know, it led me to, to do some other things after leaving the department. And which eventually people ask me, you know, Keith, why do you, you know, why did you want to go into politics? Why were you thinking about that? I didn't know you had a political, any political aspirations. I've always had um, a, a very strong political ideology. University, um, if you're familiar with American University, is probably one of the most political schools in the country. I think I think U.S. News and World Reports um, uh, uh, deemed it that, gave it that that um, that, uh, that award, but it is everything is. You know, students protest left and right. The the professors, the faculty, the staff, everybody is is geared toward government and towards politics. So, whether you understand it or like it or not, you're gonna have you're gonna really be in tune with with your own morals and values and how to actively um, how to actively uh, support those things through politics, right. through action, through legislation. It teaches you all that. Um, but I was very fortunate to receive it for free. you know this school right. at, at that time it was roughly fifty thousand dollars go to fifty thousand dollars a year to go to school here. It's going up a little bit now, so I was very very blessed um to be able to receive that education for free um, but going into politics is something that I'd always thought I would do. I was like okay, i I finished my career doing this and then i'll and then I'll do it But being a part of the um uh, police department uh in d c in particular. Washington, D.C. was number one in 2010 for marijuana-related arrests. And who did we normally lock up? I mean, pretty much 9.7 times out of 10, they were young black males. So, you know, seeing how rampant it was, you know, it was inherently something that I, just, I didn't agree with. I didn't know it was my job. You know, if I had to right. encounter it and as a situation, of course, after you really learn how to be, you know, your own, your own cop, if you will, you can use your discretion. And that's what I found mm-hmm. myself doing very often. You know, if it was if it was a situation where you have, you know, you got a group of young men, you know, just hanging out, having a good time, and you know, you you they may be hanging out on somebody's porch, and you happen to smell the marijuana, for example, that gives you the probable cause to then search them for other things. You know, just just do a little pat down, make sure nobody has anything going on. Especially, I worked in Trinidad neighborhood, which is in Upper Northeast, and you know, this would happen quite frequently. Um, you know, it gives you that the um, the probable cause to do a search, to do a pat down, and if you find something, a gun or something, that's you yeah. know that that's all that's good. When you find a gun; it's, guns are not allowed in DC. So that was that's actually what I was looking for is to kind of pad the stats. But if it was something where they were just smoking a uh, yeah. joint or something like that, whereas if another officer would have come along, they might have arrested them for that and give this young right. man a record for having a joint or a little bag of weed. I I, I couldn't do that. And so, yeah, I found myself, you know, in young men, they always, you know, they remembered it. But, yeah, that's, you know, that's how, and that's how you get, you know, they, they gave you respect on the street if they right. knew that you were fair. And they knew that you, you know, you were not going to, as they say, hem them up or, um, okay. or, um, or press them out for, for anything that's not, you know, that's not worth being pressed out about. Yeah. Um, so I decided, you know, I'm not going to give any young men records. If there's if it's not anything else there you know, this is something that, you know, all right, well, I'll see you around. <laughs> you know, it's kind of yeah, one of those yeah, things. Yeah. And not every officer employs that type of judgment, and especially if you have an officer that is not used to dealing with the population, for example, um, and, you know, they, they're just, they're new to the job or whatever the case may be. You know, they're, they, may not, um, they may not exercise that type of judgment and that type of discretion. So I found yeah. myself doing that, and in doing so, I just came to the point to where having a better understanding of of how those laws truly affected the bigger system, these young men go into the system in which across the board, I didn't really realize the stats until a couple years later of how one-sided it is. So really that gave me the ideal that, okay, this is legislation that I think should change. You know, these these laws should be relaxed. It should be decriminalized and, and regulated. I always thought it should be decriminalized and regulated like alcohol, because alcohol is, is far more times, de- um, hundreds of times deadlier than, than marijuana. And with that knowledge, there have been more deaths caused by marijuana, as, sorry, by alcohol as opposed to marijuana. And having that knowledge, I was, it, it, was just, it was a no-brainer for me. And I said, I want to change this legislation. You know, you, you're on the side where you have to be the enforcer. I can no longer be the enforcer. I have to be the, uh, the legislator. And that's what really propelled and really got my mind going. As soon as I finish up, as soon as I, I, I'm no longer with the department and I'm no longer in law enforcement, I have the ability to, to run for office. That's exactly what I'm going to do. And so the uh, the seat that I'm running for, which is State Delegate in District 26
2: mm-hmm. uh, in
0: Maryland, opened up, and, and it was just kind of talked to some folks and did my little feeling, feeling around and, and just kind of, you know, reaching out to the to the right people and just kind of asking them what they thought. I got some people say, "Go for it," you know, why not? Uh, I'm 34 years old now, you know. People are like, "Why not?" And some people are like, "You need to wait your turn," you know. And and, and you know, for me and my generation, I that doesn't sit well. <laughs> that doesn't sit well. Yeah. You know, so I, you know, where I, the school I come from, the 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 mindset I come from, how I was raised. It was like if you if you you, you see it, go get it. it. It's as simple as that and nobody else is going to give it to you. And uh, so for me, running for this seat, running for this position, um, wanting to be a legislator to truly affect change in my community in Prince George's County, Southern Prince George's County needs so much. It needs leadership, number one, true leadership that's going to make sure that our youth have a chance to, to succeed, that they have options on the table as opposed to, um, as opposed to the options that will lead them, lead them to a, into an abyss. Um, let's let's talk County. about some of
1: those options, too. Yep. I mean, and I'm glad you, I'm glad, Keith, I'm, I I wanted to turn you loose in the beginning because in many ways, I wanted people to get a portrait of the person, the story, mm-hmm. because oftentimes, you know, when we look at politicians or those who aspire to be politicians, we get the soundbite, and we just got about 25 minutes straight of your story, and that's, that's important. Now, let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. Um, how has your story, how has the journey that you've taken, because it's, I, I hear strands of, you know, uh, leadership throughout, that there were moments in your life where you had to make some clear decisions. You know, what path am I going to go into? And now that you approach this, um, this next path, this, this political path, um, what have you taken from athletics, your life, uh, some of the people that you've interacted with, uh, that's going to help you to go in and, and make positive change there? Because let's face it, uh, politics is not beanbag. You know, it's a, it's mm-hmm. a contact sport. And, and, and yeah. I think what people are looking for is practical, sound, common sense leadership. Talk a little bit mm-hmm. about that. How is everything that you, that you just shared with us going to help empower you in this new venture?
0: Um let start with, with what's, what you just using. As far as a common sense approach is concerned, um, i spent time in- For example, in let's take education.
1: K- we'll take edu- yeah, education let's take education.
0: exactly. You. That's what I was about to address. Oh, take education, for example. In my background, I substitute taught and actually taught for a little while before, um, in addition to going higher, I took a little hiatus and went into the school system um, during my tenure at, at South Florida. So. I, I experienced things at the K through 12, kindergarten through 12th grade level, and also the um, the university level, and it gave me a very broad understanding of of how education is truly governed, how it works. That gave me a really good approach. Number one, from understanding people, understanding people how they uh, how how they want their children to learn, if they want their children. Everybody wants their children to learn, at least they say they do. Absolutely. But you know, one thing that that I, I realized and I recognized was just that communities are different in their approach. Um there are a lot of communities that um that say that they want better education system for our children. But if you go to a PTA meeting, um you know, you're you're you're, you're you hear crickets. You know, you four or five people when you go to a neighboring jurisdiction or a neighboring county or a neighboring school yeah, PTA meeting is like a social event. You know, you've you just packed house. Right. You truly see what communities are putting the action into wanting their, their children to learn and not just relying on elected officials um, or the administrators at the school to, to teach their children. Teaching starts at home. That was something I've always known. My mom always, you know, had a, some type of regimen, always made sure we did our, our homework, always made sure she checked on it, was always active. You know, she was so busy working numerous jobs, she, you know, she worked mainly retail jobs, but she always made sure that, you know, if she didn't know how to do it, she, you know, she'd make sure she talked to her teacher to, to help us out with it or, you know, she'd make sure she'd be on top of it and make sure we were doing her homework. Um, but, I mean, that's get one parents thing I'd like what, what What do you think? I'm
1: sorry? How do you think we help get, cause that's so critical that you mentioned that, you know, you talk about your mom and ha- happy shout-out, you know, to, happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there, but mm-hmm. you can shout-out your mom and her, her efforts with, with you all and your family. What? How do you think we can elicit more parental support when it comes to education?
0: Um, the thing that I've noticed from, you know, from talking to teachers, um, right now, you know, I teach a class, I'm an adjunct professor at, at American And all all my students are Teach for America students. So I literally have, you know, I'm I'm teaching teachers as far as uh, leadership principles in higher education, sorry, in education administration and uh, higher education as well. Um, I hear what what they say in just talking to them. We have these conversations all the time, how to get parents more involved. Um, You know, some people have have recommended financial incentives, which I think is, is, is ridiculous, but you know you have to try everything, put everything on the table and not rule out anything um, any ideas It's crazy there, is no, there are no crazy ideas when it comes down to getting uh, getting parents involved. Um, that is the number one thing that it looks like how are all the children are educated, if the children have the resources that they um, that they need at school. how do we get parents more involved is is a um, it's the question of the century, especially in the black community. And um, a majority of urban schools, and this is kind of a dichotomy in Prince George's County. We are the wealthiest county, wealthiest black county in the country. Yet we have some of the worst schools in the state. Now we have teachers that work very very hard. We have teachers that probably need to find another job. Yeah, but you know who's calling? Who's calling? Who's calling them to the carpet? Basically, who's bringing? If you're in a PTA meeting, you, you've had you've heard of a a teacher that's had, um, you know, multiple complaints, you know, that the children don't really learn from them, then, you know, on a PTA level, you understand as a parent, you're hearing about that through the grapevine, so that's something you can put the pressure on to see if this teacher may be suited for the classroom or in a different position. not saying fire them. They just may, may not be suitable for the classroom. Um, mm-hmm. But being involved as a parent, that those are the things that you keep your, your ear to the ground, ear to the streets on it, uh, so to speak. Getting parents involved, I think, from a, from a perspective, uh, you have to. It has to be programming in place. Number one, but having incentives. Unfortunately, that's what it's come through. A lot of people are like, well, you shouldn't have to provide incentives for parents to fill up the PTA meeting. Well, it had, you know nothing else has worked. You know, just announcing it and sending stuff home with the child to let them know that a PTA meeting is Monday night at six o'clock. That hasn't worked. So you you have to try something. To uh, not rule out any ideas to get them there, and that is no easy answer. People have, again, have have offered um, financial incentives, and and, um, some people have gone uh, so far as to offer, um, uh, try to partner with corporations to provide provide various incentives. Um, Anyway, there leave no leave no stone unturned when it comes down to that because it is such a um, uh, a unique. Especially in Prince George's County, it is something that's very, very unique, and which you I have haven't it. quite figured out.
1: No, and, and it's critical that you know we have the approach that you know because not everybody is that's quote unquote an education expert, but bringing in good mm-hmm. people and 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 having the team together, and that's one of the reasons why um, I, w- I really wanted to have you on is partly because of your story. Now, I want to dovetail into youth empowerment and some other things, but. Before doing that, I'm just curious, were you ever able to reconnect with your biological dad? How did that kind of play out? Or play yeah. Out?
0: Um, you know, it was the, the funniest thing. Um, I just found out, like, literally a, a couple months ago. I, I just found out my mother told me my, my brother, actually, he still talks to them quite frequently, and my, my brother no. and I mentioned it. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's an amazing thing <laughs> because I, I, my father, after we they divorced, um, we live He lived probably I don't know like a stone throw. I'm not even getting like a stone throw five, five miles maybe from us. And I, I can count on on a couple of fingers and toes how many times I saw him within from the time I was eight until the time I was 13. Um, he only attended one sporting event of mine that I I can remember. You have these things. The seventh grade, a foot seventh grade football game. Other than that, and mind you, my brother and I were some of the some of the best players on the team and some of the best players in in, uh, in the state. Um, at the time, but mm-hmm. we still, you know, he still did. Everyone was raving about the Grey Boys, the Grey Boys, and you know, <laughs> I still didn't see him. And I remember my 11th grade year, and this is when, like, I was at the height. I mean, I had shoeboxes full of full of letters from every college you can imagine. Um, in the corner, I mean, I, I was really playing well. It was, the game was on my birthday. Uh, my birthday is February 5th, and it was a game to capture the uh to win the district championship. I mean like if you win a city or county championship, that's how it is here. But to win the district championship. And um I saw my father probably a few days before that. I said, Dad I, I really want you to come to the game. I really want you to come to the game. He's, he's like, Oh yeah, I'll be there, I'll be there. And I was looking forward to him. I, I remember I know, like half time. Well this is looking I mean, the entire time, run up and down the floor. I had a I had like uh a, a almost career game, like twenty five points Several rebounds. I mean, I, I had a really good game, but I remember walking, running up and down the court. And I was looking for him in the stands, kept looking for him, kept looking for him. And at the end of the game, you know, I looked around and I saw my mom, of course, and I didn't see, I didn't see him. And I'm like, wow. You know, after that, I think I was through. I went, in, I went into the class. Oh, sorry, I went in the locker room. I was balling like a baby. Yeah because my teammates were around me, and they were like, you know, keep what's wrong. We, you know, we just won the championship. You know, we're going to the playoffs. I was, I was crying I was, because I was so hurt that, you know, I, I thought that, you know, I'd achieved, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? And i achieved
1: um,
0: notoriety. Like a, 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 yeah, notori- yeah, i received notoriety as standard. Like, man, everybody's paying attention to me now. I am my dad will pay attention to me now. You know, it's kind of that feeling that, man, I, you know, I don't know what else I can do. So after that, I was I was pretty much done. I was pretty much done. I didn't try to seek him out. I didn't try to find him or anything. And um, the next time I saw him, I was a sophomore in college. And <laughs> and when we saw each other, there was a, um, you know, there was there was a huge exchange of words. I don't know how we got into the conversation. Because I always went by to go see my grandmother, his mother. Mm-hmm. Every every time I went to town, I'd go by and see him. That's what I happened to see him. And I don't recall how it went, but I think I was so angry. Yeah, I hadn't seen him, and I hadn't talked to him or anything, and we, had, we ended up having a heat, really heated exchange, and and that was the last time I talked to him until, again, until I was twenty, sorry, maybe like twenty eight, twenty nine, probably twenty nine years old, two years ago, and I talked to him again, and and yeah, my I have a sixteen year old sixteen year old boy who lives um, lives in Texas. My my mm-hmm. two my youngest two live with their with their mother, mm-hmm. and they were there. My son calls me. He's like, "Dad, <laughs> he's like, um, this says this this guy here. He says he's your, he says he's my grandfather. He says he's your father. They had never seen him. Right. And I'm like, yeah, and yeah, you know, he's. I was like, well, what's his name? Where are you? He's like, yeah, I'm at, I'm at, uh, at, at my grandma's house. Said, yeah, that's that's your grandfather. And wow. um, he put him on the phone. That's the first time I talked to him, you know, since I was like 20 years old. Wow. And you know, I you know, just I just asked him how he was doing. I, mean, I asked him about his health. And uh, I think I, I gave, my mom told me, uh, and this is something I always learned, you have to forgive. Yeah. And I'm, I'm a man of God, and, and I know that even that level, I forgave him. I forgave him a long time ago, um, well before that. So talking to him, I, it wasn't all that anger. i I over that years ago after that last encounter with him. I think that our interaction we had when I was a sophomore in college really let let it out. And um, so after that, I really didn't have a um I really didn't hold any more anger in anything i was yeah I was good, I knew I was gonna be okay, you know I knew I was going to get my college degree, I knew I was gonna be i I'm good, so I really didn't concentrate and focus I been talking to him I asking him holly how he was doing this last time, and you know he gave me his phone number and and i, I still again, this was probably about three four years, uh four almost five years ago. I still haven't reached out to him, I still haven't talked to him very often um you know it's not it's not because of anger or anything but Mm-hmm. I just there really hasn't been a desire to foster that relationship, you know. It, it hasn't hasn't affected me. <laughs> um, it hasn't affected because I got over it so long ago. But you so said your brother. You,
1: you said you are Yeah, but my brother. my brother. Maintained yeah, my brother maintains. Right. My brother I'm glad you're sharing this. I'm glad you're sharing this because I think I just think this conversation is helping a lot of people. It's just a lot of a lot of stuff that's been you, you floating. That's good stuff. But your brother's been speaking with him.
0: Yeah, my brother's been speaking with him and. and and I thought that my brother would never speak to him again, but I, you think I was angry. My brother, I mean, my brother, well, he's like, he's one of those guys with a very, very short temper. And, mm-hmm. and you know, when well, my mom told me, I'm like, no way, you know, because my brother would get mad at the drop of a dime, and he really harbored a lot of heat. I mean, it wasn't even anger. It was a lot of heat for my dad. And... um you know, he never talked about him at all. I, I you know, we had like minor conversations, but it's like, oh, okay, on to the next thing. Yeah, well, let me let me get you Dr. Graham, you know, something like that. Yeah, you know, we never really talked about it at all. It was like, um, you know, it just it was a white elephant in the room. Um, but my brother hey, apparently is, is has a, a relationship with him.
1: Yeah, and that and, and that's that's fascinating. Uh, Michael Fordham just actually, uh, he just sent me an instant message. He said, he said, your brother is probably more like your father. You know what Yeah,
2: yeah. You what know, it is. Just, he just messaged me
1: that. <laughs> yeah, and, and, yeah. And, and, and it's just fascinating that we share this, Keith, and I, I think a lot of people are going to be able to relate to your story and the work that you do. I mean, you think about the thread of public service that you've had, um, hands dirty in dealing with you know, our youth, working with youth mm-hmm. empowerment, um, but at the same time, and I think for those who, you know, who are listening who might be doing great things, it's interesting many times, you know, we can be so focused in on our, our work that there's things going on, you know, in the background that might mm-hmm. be bothering us or making us angry that, right. that, that maybe we've stuffed. I'm sure a lot of the young men you've dealt with, many mm-hmm. of them, you know, the elephant in the room, let's face it, is the father issue. And you sharing right. your story, I think it's going to be able to help a lot of people. And, and the fact that you're not holding anger and, and there's not hatred, and there's forgiveness, who knows? I mean, you might even uh, pick up the pick up the phone and reach out to him like your brother did. Who knows?
0: Yeah, you know. And, and I've been <laughs> thinking about it the last the last few days, and, I, uh, and uh, you know, it's something that I think I'm going to have to do, um, just mm-hmm. from from respect for my father, yeah. for him being my father. I think that's something that I, I have to do. Um, and I don't again, think that.
1: Yeah, I don't mean to come off, oh, but, I mean, we, we're, we're talking about it in the context of you. But in many ways, you know, it's a lot bigger than you, what we're talking about, yeah. this issue. A- and absolutely. How and you. Yeah.
0: yeah. Right. And, and and sharing this story with you guys, you know, a lot of people, you're like, oh, you're, you're running for office. You shouldn't be so open. I, I don't, I don't, I think my story, like you say, it, it helps. I know are other young men who, who are going through absolutely. the same exact thing. You can go, not You going the same thing. Yeah. And they really haven't. They haven't even figured out how to deal with it. They may still harbor that anger even into their their thirties and forties, and, and and that's that's what this is about. You know, it, it you know politics okay. aside or anything, it's we are a human. We're human, right. and we're human at the basic level. We all have the same emotions, the same feelings, and we experience the same things. And, and you and know, Keith, I, I say I really this
1: too. I say this too, and I say this not just to you, but in the work I do as a as a school counselor, a lot of things you know I deal with, and it's not to omit if someone has done you wrong, if there's pain there. But I say this constantly. If you have a living father, if you have one mm-hmm. and he's alive, hit him up. Send mm-hmm. him a text. How you doing? Yes. You know, mm-hmm. how's your health? You know, yes. just hit him up. You might, and that's not, that's not a pipe dream that things are going to be great and we're going to have this great kumbaya moment and we're going to reconnect. You know, that might not ever happen. Let's face it. Right. A lot of people have got to forgive family members that aren't even alive, but I believe Mm -hmm. forgiveness, that forgiveness. Exactly. I say, you know what, this is a part of my story. It helped empower me to get to where I am. I choose to use it. Keith, talk a little bit about um, athletics and the work that you've done as a police officer and as an administrator. Talk about how that camaraderie of working with others. You think about athletics.
2: How how is Mm -hmm. all
1: of that experience, um, that team approach, Informed in the work that you're doing now, and, and hope to do as a delegate.
0: Well, it has everything to do with it. You know, since since inception, I didn't play tennis or golf or anything growing up. So every sport I played was a team sport, and and from a young age, you know, especially football. I mean, Texas, you're literally you're, you're when you're born, they stuff put, they put a football in you in your bassinet, <laughs> or your baby crib. Yeah. And so you're <laughs> at some point you're gonna play. So at, at a very early age, you're you're learning about team, what it is to be a part of a team, and that really is the um, is the genesis of of everything that you do going forward um, for me it, it has helped in every single facet of my my professional life um, my private life it's it's really helped me out and in my professional life you know working uh you know day to day working with different people um coupled with my experiences from from american in athletics being a part of a team and under learning about people from different cultures and different backgrounds it has all helped me become a very well-rounded person to be a, a sensitive and understand how people work and really be at the, the really look at things from a, a practical standpoint and on a human and emotional level. Um, so it, it, it enhanced my ability to deal with people. Um, you know, I should tell people when I was a police officer, for example, um, I used to tell people, they asked me what i do. I, I would say I was a police officer. I'd tell them I was a, um, a thomas counselor. <laughs> so the counselor and the, and the uh, uh, what I say I used to say counselor and the force that's what I used to say and they're like what's that I'm, like, you know, I'm a police officer because that's what you do ninety ninety wow. percent of your job every you, you think about your day right All, on average in DC you're getting you know you're getting ten twenty calls a day calls for service probably, well more than that actually that, wow. that's, that's kind of low let so let's say on average twenty calls a day that you get called to directly not even counting the things that you know, you go join in on and help out on and assist on. You're getting 20 runs a day. And every wow. one of those runs, you know, you're dealing with people that you've encountered before who are having the same problem, and they literally just want somebody to talk to. Now, you'll show <laughs> up, and they're screaming at each other. And, and <laughs> you know, it's <take> a domestic <laughs> situation. You, you know the family. You know, oh, that's, that's Mr. Johnson right there. And uh, Mr. Right, right, Mr. Right. Mr. Johnson, that fight again. You show up, and, you know, all you, you, know you know exactly what to do. Let me pull Mr. Johnson over here. He's he's cool. He, you know, he doesn't get too too rowdy. Let me get Miss Johnson. Just talk to her. That's all she wants to do. And right, right. Well, let him talk. Right. And you know, she might say she wants him to go to jail. Like, well, Miss Johnson, he didn't, he didn't put a hand on anything, did he? No, but he. It, she'll make something up. But <laughs> you know, the deal. she just wants. And by the time you finish that conversation, Miss Johnson is fine. They're fine. He usually goes take. You know, Ms., you know, Mr. Johnson, he'll go take a walk around the block. He'll come back later well and he will be good. So it taught wow. you how to deal with people on a continual basis and how to solve people's problems. Every problem can't be solved, but you can, you can offer some type of – some measure of resolve and, and finding that you have to work with other people sometimes in order to get that measure of resolve for people. And you have to always keep in mind, when you encounter a person – I don't care if – you know, you have a woman, her purse has been stolen. This happened quite quite frequently. She pulls up to a gas station. She's never been a victim of a crime in her life. And, you know, her purse was stolen or a cell phone was stolen. You pull up a gas station, somebody slipped in the side and took your, uh, took your phone out of the console. And, you know, it's, it's a feeling if you've never had anything stolen from you, have been a victim of a crime. It's a feeling that, that can be indescribable for some and, to, and a lot for, for others. But you have to keep in mind, this person, this is the biggest thing that maybe, maybe ever happened to this person as far as yeah. in with, with recent memory. You know, this is a very, very sensitive incident. Granted, I just came off the scene from a homicide. But still, wow. you have to put yourself in the mindset that this is very important, and not you know you're not thinking about what you just what you just went through, you know, an hour or two ago. You know what you just saw, or you know you just got shot at, you know, two or three hours ago. You're thinking wow. about this person's situation, so it really taught me how to turn how to how to tune things up. In addition to athletics, you know, being an athlete, you know, yeah. you always especially in basketball to say you you, know, you got to forget the last play, and I, I carried that into yeah. it, but. Yeah. Yeah, on a human level, on a, on a day-to-day uh, day-to-day human level, when I joined the police department and, and, and went to this line of work, that's you know, and enhanced that even more so. So it was, it yeah. was something that that really helped and really aided me.
1: You know, and, and that's that's good stuff there, Keith. And we don't do endorsements, you know, on our broadcast. But I will tell you this: I'll make a general comment. You know, having people with the real life experience and you know the that that are on the that are on the ground level, that have had, you know, those those one on one interactions with people and understand problem solving, critical thinking, you know, and, and just have a good good heart. That that's so important. And I know Michael Fordham has been listening in on this conversation. And uh Mike, I know you're chomping at the bit here to give some comments and feedback.
2: Well, you know, I just want to say, um, listening to your story uh, and your your position and your your passion about your job and connecting with people, all I can say, uh, just to put it plainly and simply, is you're a real dude, you know, and, yes, and, and that's so important. Um, yeah. To someone who takes the job way beyond the training, way beyond mm. the job description, and looks at how I can connect with people and truly make lives better – go beyond mm-hmm. the written objective and to try to do above and beyond. You know, that just says a lot about who you are as a person. And, you know, you know, I can really appreciate that. I can appreciate someone who is not just looking at their power and authority and looking at when I can bring the hammer down, but actually how uh-huh. I can help. So I, I just want to yeah. just, you know, praise you for the way you've approached your job and the way you've approached life and how you've taken these life lessons and made them work for you. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh,
0: I, I definitely have. I definitely have. It's been a, it's been a. For me, it's been a long road, but it, it's it's you know got a lot more got a lot more work left to do. That's that's for sure. Yeah. Hey uh
1: let's face it, and I'm glad I like the direction this this broadcast is taking. You know, we don't. I was thinking we'd you know get to a lot of different topics, but really, I hear just about empowering people, empowering communities, and empowering our youth. Um, let's face it, our youth are facing extraordinary challenges, and I know you've dealt with so many that feel disconnected from society, let alone the political process. What would you say uh, to that young person or that that family out there who, who might be struggling, who's confronting you know a lot of issues and um, a lot of problems? What would you say to encourage them today?
0: I would say number one to the to, to the young man or young woman that is going through going through something. You know, I always have to share my story. I was a teenage father. I was I had my son when I was seventeen, and you know his mother was was uh, sixteen. You know we were young. We made it through. You know we made yeah. it through. You have to keep your head. You have to stay focused. Number one, stay focused on the goal that you want and see see beyond. You see beyond. Yeah. It. And I didn't have a lot of. I had a few examples around. I had, you know, two uncles that, 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 um, actually three uncles that I always looked up to. I didn't get a chance to spend a whole lot of time with them, but I always, you know, those those are the uncles that, you know, those are some good guys. You know, I got family members that do things and stuff, but those are the good guys that when I look and when I see them, I don't have to have a whole lot of time with it when I see my spouse to be somewhat similar to them and have, uh, you know, a good stable job, a good family, so on and so forth. I would say to that young person or young lady Find someone, be it in your school, be it, you know, in your family, that you can take parts of. You may not totally want to emulate that person or be like them, but take parts of a person that you can talk to, a person that you can, you can reach out to because we are, we are all a sum of the people around us. We are all a sum, um, a makeup of the people who, that, that surround us. If you surround yourself with certain people, you're going to get certain results um for families families going through hard times families that are 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 you know kind of at a at a an impasse you know one thing i can tell you that we always stuck together as a family we always stuck wow. together as a family my mother always led the charge she always made sure that she stayed on top of our our, our education always mm-hmm. made sure and we knew and she always taught us that was the number one way that you were going to get anything in this world. And as I got older, I started to understand that even more because it's not – if you can have money, but at the very very base, the base. I mean, you still have – I ran into people just real quick. I ran into folks that, you know, are multimillionaires. But there's always, but he doesn't have X, Y. You know, he doesn't have an education. You know, and people still question the person. I'm like, this person has been successful. But even still, your question, if you, get your, if you, you have a basis of education that – not only formal education, this is the difference. Formal education, you know, you're going to school, getting your master's, graduate, bachelor's, Ph.D. There's a lot of informal education. Always continually learn, continue to educate yourself in different things. If you only have a high school diploma, good. Go and f- figure out what it is that you want to do in life and, yeah. and find how you can educate yourself. You want to real estate, you want to go in law enforcement, whatever it is, educate yourself on that topic. You don't have to go and get a PhD. You don't have to go get a master's or, or a bachelor's. There are other routes. You want to go into plumbing. You want to have your own business. You want to be a plumber. Go to trade school. Figure out. Be the best at that craft. And go to, go to community college and take some business courses so you can be a businessman and not just a tradesman. You know, there, there are certain ways to do it. Yeah. But as far as families, making sure that your families stick together. Making sure that you all, all have your head down and focused on the same goal. Making sure that your kids are getting the education that they, that they need. Um, those are those are the key things that, that work for my family, and going forward will continue to work for my family. And I would I would advise other families to do um, as well, and young men and women um, to follow. So seek yeah. seek the folks, seek for young men and women. Real quick, back for young men and women, who so that you espouse to be like? They are accessible in this day and age. You have books and you have the internet. I, yep. even, I even do it now. I mean, I follow people online, I, I read things every day. I'm reading something. I'm filling my mind with knowledge first thing in the morning. I'm listening to something that is, is positive, that is from someone that that I want my, my career to emulate or, or Dude, I, I want that's to be good. I do it every single morning. I fill my mind with that with that energy, with that, those words. We all need training. I mean, even professional yeah. athletes, why do you think they have coaches? Why do you think they have trainers? Everyone needs some type of training going forward in life in whatever facet of life that it is. So that, that's what that's I good. tell a young person, a young, uh, young man or woman.
1: That's tweetable there. Fill your mind with training. Fill your mind with knowledge. Connect with people mm-hmm. that are doing what you want to do. Man, that's powerful.
2: Yep. And, Keith, we've
1: only got just a couple minutes here, but I did want to allow you just a quick little uh, blurb here to just talk a little bit about the economy. And I, I'm literally we've got like a minute and a half.
0: Okay. Um, well, basically, with Prince George's economy, I'll we'll stay on this one. Prince George's economy is, um, is it's a unique economy in that there is a lot of upside to, to Prince George's County. There's a lot that, that, that's um, happening in Prince George's County. The thing with our county that points directly to economic development is the employment rate, making sure that people have jobs. People have jobs, of course, you know they're going to be able to spend money in the local economy. Um, what's going to ha- what has to happen, there are jobs that are coming, but people have to be trained to take those jobs. Again, we can't just say we want, we want jobs. We want to be able to get X, Y, and Z jobs. Right. If I'm a construction manager, I want people qualified to do the job. You know I, I'm not just give them a job just because they live in the county. they have to be trained they have to have experience they have to know what they they need to do. making sure that our underemployed our unemployed and our newly employed are trained and you do that by partnering with community colleges and unions That's good. to for trades I'm just thinking of construction jobs you, you you partner with these different with different agencies to to create um, conduits for various high High need jobs within uh, within Prince George's County. That's something that I'll focus on and kind of build a concept around is that job training element. Because again, there there is more way more than one way to skin a catch. Like there are, there's more than one um, way to have a successful career. Again, if it's in trades, electrician, HVAC, plumbing, those guys can make upwards of eighty thousand dollars a year. You know, or if it's yeah. a professional career, you know, and and with that comes money as well. So. Um, That's what I will focus on to improve our economy in Prince George's County.
1: Keith L. Gray, so glad to have you on, man. All the best to you. We do thank you.
0: I appreciate it. It's been a a pleasure. It's been a pleasure.
1: Absolutely. We're going to have to connect uh, even further down the road, man. Well, that's all we have today. As always, we pray that something says will inspire you today and in the days ahead. It's my firm belief that we are the change that we've been waiting for. That's right. When informed citizens come together and demand change, change is what we're going to get. Let's just make sure that that change is positive change. Change for the better. In our hands are the the problems, and in our hands are the solutions. As always, love God, love people, and live on purpose. Bless.